in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy, and I hope you're doing what you love with the people that you love, and let's just jump into it. So I have a very important person on our podcast today, and uh, we've been trying to uh, organize this for a while now, and I'm very, very uh, humbled by the fact that she's uh, giving her time over to my podcast, and so a big thank you to her, but let me give her an introduction because I think it will do her much more justice than me just saying hello and welcome to the show. So today we have Leanne Ward, who is renowned Australian media dietitian, nutritionist, sports dietitian, and online social media influencer known as the fitness dietitian. Uh, she has a bachelor in health science, majoring in nutrition, and a master's in dietetic studies and her sports dietitian qualifications. She has a passion for uh, living a balanced, healthy, and active life. Leanne specializes in coaching career-driven women to conquer emotional eating, heal their gut, and stay lean for life with her one-to-one premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method, and with nearly 10 years of experience in the nutrition industry and nearly 300,000 followers worldwide, she has dedicated her career to helping women find peace, happiness, and sustainability with their body, their health, and their lifestyle. Uh, For any more uh, information and kind of if you want to find more out about Leanne beyond this podcast, guys, everything is in my show notes as always. But uh, Leanne, with that introduction, thank you so much for jumping on and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Adam. Not a worries. Well, um, as I said, we have been trying to organize this for a while. We are both very uh, busy people. But as I said, Mm. I really do appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, giving your time over for today. Thank you. No worries at all. Um, So I I reckon just let's just jump into it because people have been asking me to have you on my show and I I always find it funny. People are like, yeah, just ask this person to come on my show. It's like, cool, I'll do my best. Like (laughs) people are busy people these days, but um, I have had many requests to have you on because of the content you produce and especially around gut health. And um, I have to say it was, I don't know, probably about a year or two ago that one, I came across your information, but I don't know if you call it fate or whatever it kind of is, but a client of mine was talking about a particular piece of research he uh, had found and he was reading about and he said, Adam, what's your two cents on this kind of thing? And it was around um, these mice who, and I'm going to butcher this study, maybe you've heard of it and you could probably um, explain it better, but it was around these mice that were exposed to a bacteria that only grows in cats and this kind of microbe would then grow in these tummies and make these mice more kind of prone to want to go towards danger, which then allowed the mice to eat them, which then transferred this bacteria back to these um, cats. And it was just a a kind of a fascinating kind of thing to me that there is much more going on in our guts and these bacteria that grow in there that can particularly manipulate our thoughts or the way our bodies react. And so that's where my kind of love and kind of want for thirst for more information around this world of gut health and kind of how it can kind of help or hinder our life. And so... um, I'm really happy to have someone on who knows much more than my kind of readings from what I've done, um, such as yourself. So um, I'd love to just hear your two cents. So one, kind of your origin story, I guess, where you come from and kind of where you got into this world of dietetics and kind of where you are and it kind of has you here today. 
Mm, sure. So I guess um, very early on, I've always wanted to do something around health um, and just helping people. Originally, I wanted to be a doctor when I was about eight, nine, ten years old. Um, and then I wanted to be a physiotherapist. I did work experience in high school. Um, I spent a week with a sports physio leaning over and massaging people's legs and backs and that sort of thing. And I realized that being six foot tall and leaning over massage tables and beds all day wasn't for me. So um, I think I went down the other sort of um, logical pathway of nutrition and dietetics, still staying in that health field, wanting to help people. Um, I've always grown up having a huge interest in nutrition. My mum was very much a, we'll grow our own vegetables, we'll add some herbs for flavour. Um, we didn't get takeaway. We, you know, she'd make our favourite takeaway. If we wanted burgers or pizza, she'd always home make it. So I always grew up with a love of being in the kitchen and creating these like healthier alternatives to meals. And then throughout my undergraduate degree, where I just studied as a nutritionist, um, I guess what you'll find is many young, impressionable females studying nutrition and dietetics develop um, almost uh, patterns of disordered eating where they're a little bit too overly restricted. They're a little bit too obsessive with their calories. I was running every day, eating salads, um, just thinking that I was being, you know, the perfect healthy nutritionist and kind of overdoing it in that respect and not really having much balance. Um, so sort of went down that path of a little bit of restricted eating. And then when I was 21, um, like most Australians, I went to Bali with some of my best friends, <laughs> ended up getting a post-infective Bali, um, post-infective IBS, so just a really bad case of barley belly that kind of never went away, and my gut was never the same. And so that coupled with super restrictive, really, really healthy, clean eating, I soon found myself with this terrible list of foods. Like it was, you know, only maximum 10 things that I could eat that wouldn't set off my symptoms or flare my symptoms. So I've always been a pretty tall, um, I guess, skinny kid growing up. And I just, I guess I found myself at the point where I was like, anything that I eat aggravates my gut health. And I was at the point where I was like, well, I basically can't eat anything. I may as well start reintroducing some of these things. So I went and saw um, natural health therapists. I went and saw dietitians. I went and saw doctors, a whole range of health professionals and sort of just took little tidbits from everything that everybody was saying, combined with my own studies. Um, at the time I was going back and studying a master's of of um, dietetic studies as well. And that's sort of where my love of gut health grew from was my own personal struggles with gut health. And what we do really know about the field of gut health and the science as to date now, we've only really known for the last five years. So the field of gut health has absolutely exploded in the last sort of five to 10 years. Um, so if you were talking to me when I was in my you know, teenage years, we just didn't know anywhere near what we now know about the gut, um, such as you know, it has a second brain and it's kind of able to make these decisions um, sometimes for us without our brain even having to, to kick in. You know, People say, oh, I've got a gut feeling or that just doesn't kind of feel right. That really does come from you know, the second brain in our gut. We can talk more about that later. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my story to date. And then after I graduated as a dietitian, I was fortunate enough to pick up a clinical job. What that means is that I was a hospital-based dietitian working with um, sometimes very, very ill patients. Um, and I guess the area that I've always wanted to work in was gastroenterology, the field of gut health. And I was um, I managed to um, land a job as a gastroenterology dietitian, which was essentially my dream job. And I actually only left the hospital after about six years there last year to launch my one-on-one -on -one coaching business, where I specialize in helping women lose weight, conquer emotional eating and deal with their gut health issues, which is sort of these three areas that are all kind of combined because when women are eating very emotionally, like they're really upset, they've had a long week, they've smashed a block of chocolate, they're getting all of these terrible symptoms from over-consuming processed foods and they're also not able to lose weight at the end of the day. So it's kind of like this vicious cycle and I find that those three things go hand in hand and they're the three things that I've really struggled with in my past as well and so many women struggle with today as well. So 
And I guess the reason that I left the hospital and people say, you know, you had your dream job there. Why would you leave? I worked in um, a public hospital up in Queensland. And so for any Australians listening, we have a public health um, system within Australia, which means that you get free healthcare, which is wonderful, but it also means that there are thousands of patients on the wait list to see doctors and dietitians and that sort of thing. So a patient would come and see me, I'd get 20 minutes for an initial gut health consultation. I'd barely learn their name or one or two of their symptoms. They're out my door, they'd rebook for the next available. It might be 12 weeks later. And if, you know, by for some reason they had to cancel that appointment, I might not see them for four to six months. And by that time they'd, they'd, couldn't even remember seeing me, let alone what we discussed in the first consultation. And I just wasn't achieving what I wanted to achieve within a public health service. I just wasn't, um, you know, I find that women really, women in particular, but also males really need that constant support and that accountability. Um, when life gets hard, they just need somebody checking in with them and making sure they're being consistent with their goals to help them achieve, um, to help them achieve their goals at the end of the day. So that's sort of where my, um, where I've come from and my passion for gut health and, and women health, women's health has come from and sort of up to where I am now, where I spend my days podcasting and creating content for Instagram, coaching my one-on-one ladies um, and just, um, yeah, just doing the things that I love every day, but um, really feeling like I'm, I'm really helping women worldwide because I'm able to offer them that support and motivation and accountability that they need on a regular basis. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, um, I've come across your your stuff a while ago now, and it's it's a phenomenal page. And I've said this time and time again to people: make make sure they go and follow you because I think you've got some amazing content, and the way you put it across um, is very empathetic, and it's very um, kind of in touch with people and kind of what they're feeling and what their thoughts are. And um, I think, as I said, you come across as a very genuine person um, in that. Um, but to your own story that you were kind of just saying before with regards to going to Bali and getting, in quote, Bali mm. belly, but obviously mm. a far, far worse um, kind of side of that, you said that, you know, you came down to a very small list of things that you can. And again, I deal with clients on a routine basis that come to me with IBS issues or kind of any kind of dietetical type issues that I just forward on to other people that I have no expert mm. in this. But how do you? How did you start kind of introducing foods and kind of like, well, if you knew this was going to set you off and you'd be on the toilet for the next three days, like how do you kind of go, well, mm. maybe I'll introduce this or what, where did that thought patterns come from to kind of see what you could? Mm. Well, basically what I had learned within my own studies and from seeing professionals and that sort of thing was that it's never one particular food unless it's an allergy, which for most people with gut health issues is an intolerance. And what an intolerance means is that your body has a certain threshold. And um, say, for example, you stay under that threshold, you might just eat really small amounts of that food or those groups of foods um, really irregularly, like every every couple of weeks or something. Your body never really achieves that threshold, which then elicits symptoms. But if you say, go on holidays in this restaurant has this particular food, or this particular groups of foods and you're eating them a lot more regularly, you might tip over those thresholds a lot more regularly. So what a lot of people do is they, um, you know, say it's just one particular food, I can't eat this or I can't eat this or this gives me instant symptoms. Whereas people forget that it's really about that threshold and the load of the foods that they're eating across even the 48 hours beforehand. So people say to me, you know, I eat something and it instantly comes out the other end. That's not how digestion works. You know, your intestinal tract is meters and meters long. It just means that there was you know, maybe some feces sitting at the very, very end of your digestive tract, the act of eating something has set off these propulsions where food moves through the intestinal tract and it sort of comes out the other end. It feels like it's come straight out the other end, but it actually hasn't. So a lot of people will will blame these one or two particular foods. It'll keep happening time and time again. And so they just keep eliminating these random foods, never really knowing that it's a cluster of food chemicals or it's a cluster of, it's a group of foods rather than these one-off particular foods. So that's the first thing to know about really intolerances. It's never really this one particular 
particular food. It's generally these groups of foods. And a lot of people might have heard the term um, FODMAPs. So essentially just rapidly fermentable carbohydrates. It's never one particular food. So it's cluster all those groups of FODMAPs as an example, um, rather than that one particular food. So for me, because I was only eating such a small amount of foods, I couldn't really go out and enjoy a meal with my family. Going home and eating at my mum's house for dinner was ridiculous because she's like, Lee, like, what can you eat? Like, I can't put onion in it. I can't put garlic in it. Broccoli is a no-no. There's no cauliflower. She's like, do you want like rice? Just white (laughs) rice. Is that okay? Like it was just ridiculous. And so from a mental perspective, I knew that I was going to get symptoms. And I think that was the first thing that helped me was people think that with gut health that you will never have symptoms. They forget that a little bit of, you know, looser bowels or a little bit of constipation or a little bit of bloating and a little bit of, um, you know, tummy troubles here and there is actually normal. It's when you're having it very severely on most days of the week where it becomes a real problem. But women always say to me, I'm so bloated. How do do I get rid of this? I'm like, well, bloating is actually normal. Like what's the extent of this bloating and how often is it happening? Um, And so for me, it was really realizing that I want to introduce these foods. I know it's going to come at a cost, but I need to look at the long-term gain. So rather than, and I say this to clients around like emotional eating, rather than the short-term pain, look at the long-term gain. Um, So for me, it was really, I'm going to get symptoms as long as it's not completely debilitating. I don't have to call in sick at work. I'm not, um, you know, running to the bathroom when I'm trying to be out socializing and that sort of thing. So I introduced them in tiny amounts. So I started with something, two things for me, which are massive triggers like onion and garlic. And I would put a quarter of an onion into, you know, six meals that I'd made through meal prep, like a really tiny amount. And I was so fearful that I only ate that tiny amount of meal at my head you know, one twentieth of an onion in it, I'd only have one of those meals every like three or four days. Like for me, it was just such a graded reintroduction because I was so fearful of it. But then the research and science, what we know around gut health as well nowadays is that stress and anxiety can impact your gut so much as well and make symptoms so much worse. So the more you're fearing these foods and the more these foods are causing you anxiety, the more gut health symptoms you're going to get. So it's kind of like that. Um, it just goes round and round in a vicious circle, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I documented my journey, it was 2018, actually on my birthday, that um, I went in and had my gallbladder removed. Um, I'd mm-hmm. been experiencing you know, these intense pains and um, for probably close to two years, but as most typical males, oh, don't worry, I'll take a Panadol, it'll be better tomorrow kind of thing, but um, yeah. woke up in excruciating pain on a 2 a.m. on a, you know, the, I think it was two days before my birthday and was rushed to hospital, had three vials of morphine put into me and still screaming um, in pain. Um, and wow. in the end, it was removed and all as well. And I was told by the surgeons then that obviously high fatty, high oily, highly greasy type meals are no longer um, on your cards. You've got to watch for those and yada, 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 make sure you're not having those. And I'm not a, I'm more of a kind of carbohydrate eater. I'm not more, I'm a fatty eater anyway. So that was, that was mm-hmm. fine. But you know, if I'd go home to mum and dad's and have, we'd have fish and chips or, you know, maybe a, a takeaway pizza or something like that, that was now probably going to be off the tables. But I don't know. I mean, you tell, I, I'd love to ask you the question because it's, it's been almost over a year now and I didn't really have any of those symptoms that they said, you know, just be careful because then, you know, you're, you'll just basically empty your, um, your guts within uh, 24 hours kind of thing. I never really had them until about a month or two ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, I've shared this with um, my audience and a lot of people saying, me too, that happened. It was kind of like this, in quote, delayed effect of, I didn't really have issues too much. There were, but nothing to the extent of what the doctors were telling me was going to happen. But now Mm -hmm. if I go near one of those kind of meals, it's just this, you know, within 24 to 48 hours, it's just, I better be near a toilet for the next 24 hours because everything is just kind of letting loose uh, through my system is, 
is that a thing? Is that is that in my head, or as you said, am I kind of stressing about? Oh my god, I've just had that pizza. Next twenty four hours, like, where does that kind of come from? Do you know, obviously, with regards to gallbladders and things like that, and how that's affecting um, people's digestion? Mm. So obviously, like your gallbladder is needed to help break down and absorb some of those fats as well. So, in terms of the delayed effect. Um, Potentially, as I was mentioning, it could be around like that load and that tolerance level. And it's not just the what we would call the bad types of saturated fats that you need to avoid. It's also the good, healthy types of fats. So perhaps um, as you've improved your diet, perhaps over the years, you know, I've sort of followed your fitness journey a little bit as well. You're eating a lot better. You're training a lot harder. You might be including more of what we call these healthy fats, which you may just have not realized from the last couple of years. You're, you know, you're having a lot more of, um, you know, maybe some nuts and seeds and oils and, and avocado, which people don't really think about as the type of fat that will trigger a gallbladder, sure. um, you know, attack, which, which it actually will. Any sorts of fats will. The body needs to break down fats, whether they're the good fats or the bad fats. So that could be one, um, I guess, theory or thing to think about in terms of that threshold or the load that you're having, which is then um, that your body can process in in the one go. Um, but yeah, for some people, their gut health symptoms, they do tend to flare up and down and that sort of thing, depending on environmental things like sleep and stress and anxiety, even um, big life changes. Um, you know, um, people might go through a divorce, they might have children, they might move countries, they might go traveling, go for a job. Um, there's a lot of research to say around conditions like autoimmune conditions. They're triggered by um, sort of like an insult to your gut where this, this switch kind of flips on in your body and it starts sort of attacking its own immune system. And they think that's sort of related to a big change in life circumstances like I've had a lot of patients who have developed type 1 diabetes or celiac disease after going through a huge breakup or um, changing jobs or careers or moving overseas or just doing these really big life events where they might not think that they're stressful but because they're such a big life-changing event um, and as you mentioned you you know you've had children and that sort of thing so it could be any number of things but um your gut health does go through periods where it's really good and then other times it's really bad and people think, I don't even know what I did or I didn't do anything different or I'm still doing the same things as I've always done. And that's just something, I guess, that we just don't have the research and the science as yet to to know what kind of triggers these gut health events and what makes them worse and why some people react worse than others. Because when I went with my group of friends to Bali, we all got food poisoning. I was the only one where it lasted longer than, you know, two or three days. It lasted months and months and months afterwards. So we just don't have that research or that science to know why gut health is so different and how it affects different people and it, to what degree, put it that way. And the research that I highly butchered at the start of this uh podcast i was talking about the mice and the and the cat i mean have you heard of that particular one with that that microbe that only grows in cats and then they transfer it through mice at yeah, all i haven't heard of that one but there is a lot of um a lot of the gut health research does begin in mice yeah okay yep mm. um i think i'd love to as i said get di- diving into the kind of uh, questions that we had come in through um the question boxes that i had um mm. because i know i've got quite a few and as i said pretty much I mean, I've always wanted to chat to you anyway, but my audience has been really want to chat to us. So I'd love to kind of just get as much uh, time with you as we can to answer those. So if we uh, don't mind just jumping straight into those. Yeah, sure. Amazing. So um, our first one was, do you recommend any supplements uh, to support your gut health? So supplements for gut health are how I think about supplements for all health. So I get a lot of questions around, you know, being a sports dietitian, asking about supplements, you know, should I take all of these different supplements to improve my health journey? I think about gut health supplements in the same way. We like to say that they're the sprinkles on the cake, essentially. So unless you get the base of your cake, the ingredients right first, you could make the most beautiful cake in the world, have the most stunning icing on it, have the best sparkly sprinkles on there. But if you've got the base wrong, if you, you know, mistake the sugar for the salt, nobody's going to eat that cake. It's going to make zero 
zero difference to you. So you've got to get your base right and your foundation right first. And what that means is eating a super healthy whole food diet, which has got a diversity of plants. So we know that the single best predictor for your gut health is to be eating a diversity of plants. So if you're somebody who's like, I only like three or four different vegetables, you know, I eat potato, carrot and broccoli and that's all I eat that's your first problem. You need a diversity of plants. So healthy adults, and when I say healthy, I'm talking about people without diagnosed um, conditions, not people going through chemotherapy, anything like that. Healthy adults should be aiming for 30 to 35 grams of fiber a day. The research for females in Australia actually says 25 grams. In my experience with a lot of gut health patients, most females can easily tolerate 30 to 35 grams a day, particularly um, males should be aiming for close to that 35 grams a day as well. And with that fiber intake, you want it to be from whole food sources. You know, you don't want to be chowing down this high protein, low carb protein bar, which has like 12 grams of fiber in it. You do want them to come for you from your whole food sources um, because a lot of your different types of fruits and veggies have different types of nutrients, vitamins, minerals in them as well. And a lot Along with that 30 to 35 grams of fiber per day, you also want to be aiming for that diversity of plants, which means 30 different types of plants a week. So it's not just 30 different vegetables. Fruit comes into that whole grains, nuts and seeds. So as an example, people get into routines. You know, they find a healthy food that they really like and they get into a routine. So a lot of my clients say to me, I eat a really healthy breakfast. I have rolled oats with a bit of protein powder, banana and peanut butter, and I love that and I eat it every day. When you're thinking about your gut health, diversity is key. So instead of having your rolled oats with your banana and peanut butter, could you try rolled oats with um, some walnuts and some nectarines? Or the next day, could you do some raspberries and some almond butter? Or maybe you try the rolled oats for some quinoa flakes, or maybe you do a bit of brown rice porridge for breakfast instead of rolled oats every morning. So just changing up the types of fruits, veggies, nuts, and whole grains that you eat helps to give you that diversity week to week. So that's the first thing that I would recommend. Instead of a supplement to supporting your gut health, getting the foundations right first. And then once you've got that foundation right, and you're somebody who um, just wants to improve their gut health, they don't generally have any specific symptoms or medical conditions. They just want to, I guess, be as healthy as they can. I definitely applaud that. The only other supplement I would recommend once you've got your foundation right is something um, like a prebiotic supplement. So not a probiotic supplement. Probiotics are the good, healthy live bacteria we put into our digestive system. The prebiotic Probiotics are what feed the probiotics. So prebiotics are basically um, fertilizer for our probiotics. So prebiotics go all the way through our small intestine unchanged. They reach our large intestine and they help to fertilize the good bacteria in our gut. So these prebiotics can be broken down into what we call short chain fatty acids, and they can essentially um, heal your gut and help to strengthen your gut lining. So if you're somebody who might even just have some mild symptoms um, in terms of their gut health, a prebiotic supplement would really be the only one that I'd recommend to support your gut health. And examples of that would be my absolute favorite one. The one that I take most days myself is just psyllium husk. So that's like the active ingredient in Metamucil. Super helpful for people with constipation, but also diarrhea. It works on both spectrums because it helps to draw water into the stool and helps to soften the stool, but also provide a bit of bulk as well if you've got some loose stools. But always starting really, really slowly with these types of things. Um, another one would be something like beta-glucan um, or acacia. Wheat dextrin as well is another example of a great prebiotic powder. Um, so just adding small amounts of that into your diet to try and optimize it or tweak it a little bit. And I'm talking, when I say supplements, we're talking about the sprinkles on the top of the cake. So maybe one to 5%, you know, advantage in terms of that. Really where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck is working on a whole food, healthy diet with a diversity of plants. But if you are going to try something like a prebiotic supplement, make sure you start really slowly. If you just start dumping tablespoons into your smoothie every morning, you're going to get some mad symptoms and not in a good way <laughs> yeah for sure um yeah i always um use the kind of terminology the scale of shit that matters 
Um, okay. you know, yeah. Yeah. You got, you know, you got the stuff down the bottom, you know, the, the big things that you just were talking about then. And I kind of come from normally the fat loss perspective when people are telling me, should I be taking this particular supplement to help my fat loss or whatever it might kind of be? And it's like, is said, the supplements are that teeny, teeny, tiny point right at the top of that scale of shit that matters that if yeah. everything is all, is all good underneath, then as you said, you might get a 1% kind of return or 2% return. Whereas just focusing on those big ones, you can get 90% of the return from those anyway. And that'll make a far bigger difference to someone who's sitting on the couch and doing nothing for their health and well-being here today kind of thing. So um, I think you hit the nail on the head with that as well. So um, number two, uh, what are your thoughts on dairy and gut health? I'm in hospital right now with ulcerated colitis um, from an infection. Sure. So my personal opinion is that dairy is completely fine to have. If you're somebody that doesn't like dairy or it's ethically you, um, you know, you choose to live a plant-based lifestyle, that is completely fine. You don't have to eat dairy at all, but it's not bad or inflammatory as a lot of things on social media actually say. The current research and evidence around dairy is that it's completely fine and safe to have. But if you are somebody who doesn't like it or doesn't want to drink it, I'm not here to force you into having it. That's entirely your decision, but please don't stop eating or drinking dairy just because you think that it's bad for you. Now, if you're um, in hospital with an infection, um, inflammatory bowel disease, um, you should be probably talking to your hospital um, doctor or dietitian about this. Um, a lot of patients with um, inflammatory bowel disease may benefit from a low fiber or low residue diet just for a limited time um, until the inflammation um, does die down a little bit, just to help reduce some symptoms such as abdominal cramping and diarrhea. Um, in terms of gut health, uh, sorry, in terms of dairy, there is no real um, conclusive research around ulcerative colitis. Um, it may be beneficial for some people um, to choose low lactose products for the period where their gut is a little bit more inflamed as well. But again, um, once you're sort of out of that period of inflammation and your gut settles down a little bit, you should be able to tolerate um, normal dairy products fine if you choose to have them. Um, we talked about probiotics very quickly in the last question. Um, they're the, the types of live bacteria. I'm not someone who generally recommends probiotics, but ulcerative colitis is a condition where there actually is a small amount of research that has a positive benefit around a specific strain and a specific amount for um, that condition. And it's actually some of the research has shown that it can put you in admission as quickly as what some of the steroids do. So that's one of the areas, the very, very few studies that have shown really positive benefits with probiotics. So um, I would actually recommend chatting to your doctor or your clinical dietitian at your hospital to see if um, a specific strain and type of probiotic would be appropriate for you. It's not okay to just take any probiotic in any amount. Um, they're not gonna do you any benefit just from taking them. There really has to be that evidence and science behind it for that exact strain in that exact amount for your exact clinical condition. And unfortunately, um, ulcerative colitis is a condition where there is a little bit of research around probiotics. So that's probably something that I just wanted to address really quickly um, based on that question. But in terms of dairy, um, if you like it, go for it. You should be absolutely fine with it. Fibre is probably the bigger thing I'd be looking at in terms of um, if you're in hospital with a bit of a flare. Two just um, follow-ups to that. Do you know the percentage of people who are actually intolerant or can't have it at all um, dairy the percentages of the population in general uh, it would be a lactose intolerant so there's never anyone that cannot have um, or well there's two different things so there's a CMP so a cow's milk protein allergy where you've got the allergy to the cow's milk protein you definitely can't have it that's it found in a lot of children it's very rare in adults but um, in terms of a lactose intolerance 
oh, I might just be completely making this up, but I think it's something around 20 to 30% of the population have issues with lactose. And again, it's a threshold. Some people could have a cup of milk and a tub of yogurt, but anything more than that, they'll get symptoms. Other people will get symptoms from just a quarter cup of milk or from a few teaspoons um, of yogurt or something. So it is definitely that threshold. But just having products that are lactose-free means that they can have dairy. All lactose-free means is that you're adding a uh, enzyme lactase into the dairy product that helps your body to break down the lactose in that product. People with a lactose intolerance are lacking um, enough of those enzymes to help their bodies break down the lactose. So if they have too much and they don't have enough of those enzymes, they'll get symptoms. So simply having products that are um, marketed as lactose free or low lactose with those enzymes in them will be really beneficial. You can actually take the little um, lactase enzyme tablets from the chemist as well. If you have a meal um, or a drink with with dairy in it um and just as a, again a follow-up to probiotics i'm always um i always hear and obviously we get told that post antibiotics if you've kind of been unwell is it good to then have probiotics kind of post you know having to take a course of antibiotics is that just something that we're being marketed to and trying to you know sell more antibiotics uh, sorry probiotics or is that something that can generally help um with people kind of replenishing their kind of gut bacteria Mm. This is one where, again, the research is just, it's just not conclusive at the very moment. It has come a long way. Ideally, we used to think, yes, if you're taking antibiotics, you should definitely take a probiotic. Now, what we know now is that some of the latest research that's come out has actually shown that taking a probiotic with your antibiotic can actually delay um, your microbe coming back to to you know normal levels after the course of antibiotics. So unless it's for a particular type of infection that you're taking it for, the biggest one being um, um, traveler's diarrhea. There's a really good strain of um, probiotic SB, which I would recommend if somebody's got traveler's diarrhea and they're taking um, antibiotics for that, um, or as a preventative for traveler's diarrhea, a probiotic would be um, very helpful for that. But in the most general cases, I think the best things that you can do are a, a natural whole foods, healthy diet, uh, making sure you're managing your stress, getting that diversity of plants and having prebiotics is now the latest sort of research and evidence that's going to be really helpful in terms of trying to improve um, your gut microbiome and help it recover from the use of antibiotics so yeah it's definitely not a case of more equals better in terms of probiotics you've really got to have that research for the specific strains um, or the specific conditions and then link that to a specific strain in a specific amount if not you're just trying to basically like trying to throw mud at a wall and hoping that it sticks yeah. is a really good analogy that one of my favorite um, gut health doctors online, Dr. B, um, talks about as well. So anyone listening um, at home, Dr. Will Bulsawick is a great gastroenterologist. You can follow him online. I think he's at the Gut Health MD. He's he's an awesome person to follow. And he recently did a post about antibiotics talking about the latest research and evidence in that as well. Yeah, cool. Um, with regards to the prebiotics, because you've mentioned it a couple of times now and you said, mm. um, you know, psyllium husk, is that something that you would take as like a, a whole kind of product or is there powders or, you know, pills that people can go and buy over their counter? Like where are people buying these probiotics and what's the best kind of way of going about it? Mm, the prebiotics, um, generally they're in powder form. So they can also be in capsules, um, but uh, take something like Metamucil, for example. Uh, psyllium husk is the active ingredient in Metamucil. Um, so they, Metamucil comes in powders, but also in tablet forms. I personally prefer the, the whole food form of psyllium husk. You can just get it from like Coles and Woolworths or your local health food shop. And it comes in like this. Um, almost like grainy powder and if you were to put it in water and mix it into water and you let it sit there it would start to um, almost like gelatinize like turn gluggy and 
start to absorb some of the water. That's essentially what you want it to kind of do to your bowel as well. Because if you're taking it for a condition like constipation or because your bowels are a bit sluggish, it's going to help to draw that water into the bowel. And then it's also going to help to um, soften the stool and help it pass through easier as well. So it's generally with these, um, psyllium husk, for example, is like a powder. You'd add it into water. Um, you don't want to let it sit there because it does thicken it. And it can become quite unpleasant to drink. So you kind of want to mix it into water and drink it kind of straight down. Is there, a, is there a flavor to it or is it pretty non No, there's no flavor, no? but it's a texture thing. So if yeah. you're a texture person, you're going to struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't love it when I first started taking it, but that is something that I think has, has worked wonders for my gut health. It's, it's what I would consider a superfood. A lot awesome. of, I hate calling foods superfoods, but psyllium husk is something that I would consider a superfood. Very, very small amounts to start with, gradually increasing doses. And again, it's only really going to give you benefit if you're doing all of the other things right as well. It's just sure. not, you can take it and you're going to get this magical fix. Awesome. Um, next one. Is there any point in looking after your gut health when on chemo since chemo wipes out everything? Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage everybody to be looking after their gut health, no matter what, no matter what sort of condition or health issues that you're struggling with. Um, you know, I wouldn't ever recommend taking any pills or supplements, particularly during chemotherapy. Your body and your immune system um, is weakened and it can actually be quite dangerous to you. Even taking things that you might consider natural supplements like, um, you know, high doses of vitamins and minerals and even just like multivitamins. I wouldn't recommend any of that throughout chemotherapy and definitely no live um, bacteria or probiotics either, again, because because your immune system is weakened. The best thing that you can do in terms of looking after your gut health is just as I said before, um, eating real foods, diversity of plants, also making sure you're having regular amounts of protein throughout the day in terms of helping um, your muscle mass. And also there's been some great studies um, for chemotherapy patients that regular movement throughout the day has been shown really beneficial during chemotherapy. Um, even if you could just get up and walk, um, if you're staying in hospital, do a couple of laps of the ward or something like that, or if they've got a bit of a rehab gym or something in, in the hospital, um, just doing a little bit of resistance training as much as you can manage if you can manage it um, if you're not getting too many symptoms is shown to be very beneficial in terms of chemotherapy and just looking after your health in general will looking after your gut so from my perspective looking after your gut really just means eating well and eating real food not foods in a packet and that sort of thing so do your best to minimize processed foods and absolutely keep your weight stable. Um, one of the biggest, uh, I guess, risk factors for patients undergoing chemotherapy is actually malnutrition. So malnutrition would be the biggest thing that I would be worried about during chemotherapy, not essentially gut health. Um, so just trying to maintain your weight and maintain your muscle mass is probably the, the biggest thing that you can do to look after your health, but also to be eating as many whole foods as possible as you can as well. And if you do find that you're experiencing any unintentional weight loss or any other sort of negative impacts or symptoms from your chemotherapy, like your different taste changes, or problems swallowing or that sort of thing, um, definitely ask to speak to your doctor or dietitian at the hospital because they can definitely help you out with food modifications or, or texture modifications and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the exercise part of that as well and that um, a colleague of mine, another exercise physiologist, was a lead EP um, on some landmark research that was done into uh, chemotherapy for um, breast cancer patients and how yeah. strength training was helping them not only recover from treatment that day but also recover from breast cancer itself and the kind of, as you said, the debilitating um, kind of effects that you know, chemo has on the body and you know, exercise was just such a huge, um, you know, positive for every single one of them and as you said like even though you may not feel like and i can only imagine how terrible people do feel after a course of and during a course of a chemotherapy but every single one of them you know there was barely a single person on that study that reported feeling worse for exercising and so the, the outcomes were great so um certainly um getting into some exercise would be good 
Mm-hmm. Um, number four, what is your opinion on gut health and drinking kombucha, if I've said that correctly, um, or yep. kefir? Kefir, yep. K-E-F-I-R? Kefir, yep. And kombucha, yep. Um, yeah, absolutely. You can do these things, definitely. Again, think of them like sprinkles on a cake. You know, if you've got a crappy diet, you're driving through Macca's on the way home, you're chugging two litres of wine on the weekend and you're sipping on kombucha, you're not doing yourself any favours. <laughs> so think about that strong foundation first. Eat real plants, get 30 grams of fibre a day, aim for 30 different types of plants, whole, whole grains, um, nuts and seeds a week. And then look at potentially trialing um, a little bit of a prebiotic supplement as well. Um, but definitely sipping on things like kombucha and um, kaifa aren't, aren't negative to um, to your gut health at all. They can definitely be positive. There's just not that real research around it to really prove that the live bacteria that's found in those drinks makes it all the way through to, um, to where it needs to go. So we just don't really have that research to kind of, um, I guess, know that you know, without a doubt at the moment. So I guess the biggest take home is a crap diet and a glass of kombucha is not going to get you very far. It's really, again, those sprinkles on a cake and really doing your research around the types of brands that you're using as well and the different types and amounts of live bacteria in that product as well. Because I think a lot of it is just fancy soft drink in disguise. Yeah. So really making sure that the brands that you're you're consuming, are, you know, they do have particular strains in the correct amounts as well. Um, and they maybe even have some research studies backing their, their brands as well. I know, I know a lot. I mean, it's quite a buzzword these days, but kind of things around fermented foods, um, you know, be yeah. it sauerkrauts or kombuchas and, you know, these kinds of things. Um, yeah. Do you um, prescribe, you know, people to get more fermented foods in your diet? Do you do it yourself? Yeah. What would you recommend around that kind of topic? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I eat some fermented foods myself. I definitely recommend them to people. But where I find a lot of people um, are at in terms of their health journey, it's just one of those things. It's like, once they get everything else right first, then they can go down this route. But it's like it, they find it very overwhelming to do these sorts of things. And it's kind of like the icing on the top of the cake. A lot of people really just struggle to get the foundations of their diet right first to improve their gut health. And really, I don't even bother recommending these things. You'll rarely hear me talk about them because the majority of people, um, they're just not even there yet. Yep. So absolutely, they're positive. I absolutely would recommend them. But um, you really do need to work on the basis and the foundation of your diet first. Um, I'll sound like an old record by the time we're finished here, but hopefully, Hopefully people understand at home how important it is for gut health. They want to do all of the fancy things. They want to try all of the pills and all of the supplements and all of the sparkling kombuchas that are out there. But unless you get the basics right first, you're not really going to have any impact to your gut health at the end of the day. Yeah, I've been a broken record for two years talking about fasting with regards to you know, everyone saying, Adam, I fast for 16 hours. Should I try 18? You know, all these different things. And as I said, I'm the same broken record. Just like get the fundamentals, forget roaring about the time that you did this or whatever you might yeah. be. So no, don't worry about me. <laughs> I'm joining you right there. Um, another one, we had a friend suggested reading uh, Julie Danilkus, I think it is, um, book Meals That Heal Inflammation. Are you familiar with this and can you give your opinion on what causes inflammation and how to deal with it? Yeah, look, I'm not familiar with it. I did have a quick Google um, when Adam sent me through this question and I personally practice from an evidence-based and a scientific medical sort of model of care. But unfortunately, the field of nutrition is highly unregulated. So a lot of people say that they practice with an evidence-based approach, but they really don't. And I think it really does come back to people don't really understand what an evidence based approach means and they don't really understand how to critically appraise the literature. So conditions um, that are inflammatory, conditions like autoimmune conditions, there isn't a whole lot of research behind those conditions and there's not a lot of science to back up a lot of the claims that a lot of people make around inflammation and around inflammatory conditions. And these are you know, particularly vulnerable people who have these, you know, inflammatory conditions, they suffer on a daily basis. And I understand that you would want to try anything to improve your health. But I'm here to tell you that the majority of 
of um, inflammatory-based conditions and autoimmune conditions don't really have a lot of science behind them in, in, in regards to diet, bar the bare basics where it's like eat good foods, reduce things that um, may worsen inflammatory uh, infl inflammation in the body and from my point of view they'd be things like ultra processed foods so when you're eating from a packet and you're eating foods that have a ton of ingredients on them and some of them you can't even pronounce there are letters there are numbers on that nutrition label that's not a great thing so really aim to eat food that your great 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 parents used to eat you know food that doesn't come in a packet um, food that doesn't have a nutrition label or an expiry date um, so avoiding these ultra processed foods that are almost must as health foods for a lot of the time people think oh that's a low carb high protein low calorie muesli bar that sounds great i'm going to eat that it's still a processed food at the end of the day so when you're looking at your products when you're going through the supermarket and that sort of thing anything with more than three ingredients on it you should really be thinking twice about do i really need this in my diet or is there another way that i can can get this sort of um food or snack item or whatever it is into my diet in a much more um whole food sort of way also, um, any super refined grains and sugars, any additives, food chemicals and saturated fats, they've been known to, um, you know, increase inflammation in the diet as well, along with smoking and alcohol as well. So really looking at that as the basis of the foundation of your diet. So in its simplest form, the best thing that you can do for inflammatory conditions would be to eat as whole food as possible. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to eat 100%. Um, you know, in inverted commas, clean diet all of the time. There is room for a little bit of what I like to term your soul food. So your absolute favorite foods in the world, but they should be, um, you know, as an occasional thing, it shouldn't be something that you're having a glass of wine after a hard day of work. And that's, you know, Monday through to Friday and more on the weekend. Or it shouldn't be that you're having ice cream every night for dinner because um, it's just become a habit for you. You really do need to aim for as much whole food as possible. Um, and we're also remembering that stress and sleep can have a huge impact on um, inflammation in your body as well. So I'm not, as I said, I'm not really familiar with that diet, but I'm also not a fan of people recommending that you cut out entire food groups and entire foods when there's not really the research or the science to back it. But, you know, those ultra processed foods, not to say you can never have them, but really be, be careful with the amounts that you are having um, and the amount of food processing that goes into your diet. Because what does contribute to inflammation is all of these additives, these food chemicals, these flavor enhancers that we can't even pronounce and we don't even really know what they do. We just don't have enough research to, to know what these chemicals and these additives additives do over a long period of time so i would be eating um you know as close to nature as possible um, and as much diversity in terms of plants as i could and really trying to aim for um more of a plant-based diet as well or even just a mediterranean style of eating has been shown to be helpful for um conditions like inflammation as well yeah amazing um number six we had how much uh how much can gut health affect weight loss yeah, look, and the jury, again, like we just don't have the, the as much evidence and research as we would like to definitively be able to like 100% because of X, Y, and Z. But there are thousands and thousands of different types of bacteria in your intestines, and most of them are, are beneficial to your health. Um, however, when you've got too much unhealthy bacteria in your digestive system, this can lead to that imbalance of healthy and unhealthy micro microbes. So we sort of term that gut dysbiosis. And there is a school of thought that this gut dysbiosis, this imbalance of the good and bad bacteria could actually contribute to weight gain. 
there have been several studies. And again, we do need more studies um, in humans to sort of reconfirm these results. But they actually took the gut microbiome of um, identical twins. Um, one identical twin was obese and then the other identical twin was a healthy weight. And they took these gut microbiomes from the twins and they put them into mice. Both of the mice were completely healthy. They fed them the exact same diet. They um, exercised them on the little mouse wheel, exactly the same each day. And what they actually found was that the the mouse that received the microbiome of the lean twin stayed lean and the mice that received the microbiome of the obese twin gained weight. They were doing the exact same thing, eating the exact same thing, under the same conditions, exercising the exact same thing. So the studies show that the, the microbiome dysbiosis may actually play a role in weight gain and it's not actually a genetic link, whereas that was a school of thought that our genetics did have something to do with you know weight gain and that sort of thing as well. So your gut microbiome does change a lot over time as well. So those studies were really interesting to, to show that link, particularly in humans as well. Um, and then, as we mentioned, there are there are trillions of microbiomes that live in your in your gut, um, and there are other different um, types of properties, such as short chain fatty acids. We mentioned when prebiotics break down in your in your intestines, they can create what we call short chain fatty acids. And some people might know of um, an example of a short chain fatty acid, such as butyrate. And short-chain fatty acids, um, they can have a number of functions in the body, and they say that there's a direct link with um, with weight loss and maintaining a healthy weight with these short-chain fatty acids as well, because they think that they can affect the way that the brain functions in such that um, it can help to reduce our appetite, it can help to... Um, let us know when our body's feeling that full and that satisfaction after a meal. And it can also help to um, reduce the activity in the brain that's re re related to that pleasure and reward center where a lot of people, um, you know, really get quite a lot of pleasure and reward out of eating these foods. So if the short chain fatty acids can do those sorts of things. Looking after your gut health, you can see how that can kind of have a correlation to um, weight loss and weight gain as well. If you're not eating enough of these natural probiotics, if you're not supporting the, the good bugs in your intestines, then maybe that could have negative influences in terms of your appetite, how satisfied and full you feel after your meal and those pleasure and those reward systems within your brain as well. Yeah, I'm so there is Sorry, no, go, keep going. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, so there is still a lot more research that we definitely need to do and a lot more research in human studies as well. But the research is really positive and is definitely pointing in the direction that your gut health can have a direct influence on your weight loss. But the good news is that looking after your gut also equals weight loss. So if you're aiming to eat more plants, you're aiming to eat more of diversity of plants, you're aiming to have more fiber in your diet, you're going to naturally lose weight without even thinking about weight loss. If you're aiming to reduce the amount of processed foods that you eat and fill up on more fruits, veggies, fiber, because fiber in itself um, helps to slow the digestion of food in your tummy and helps you to feel fuller for longer. Therefore, you don't need um, you don't need as much food. Therefore, you're reducing your calories, you're helping to lose weight. So looking after your gut health also positively influences your weight. Yeah, and to, to your point kind of with correlation of kind of um, environmental factors and kind of thought processes and kind of how we feel and, you know, not always, and I, I say this all, all the time, is that we don't always eat just because we're hungry. There's so many other factors mm. that kind of come into it and they can be stress, lack of sleep and different factors and whether that comes into gut health and things like that. At the, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not, you know, calories in, you know, calorie effort is what's going to cause that weight loss. But if mm -hmm. there's a thousand other factors that are causing you to, eat more or not feel as um, satisfied when you eat something or you're highly stressed or the gut, like there's thousands of intricacies within the, the idea of just eat a calorie deficit. And so um, I'm glad you brought up all those other factors and we're able to answer um, that and, you know, bring up some in um, interesting research that's um, coming out that's um, fascinating that, you know, there is some stuff out there and, and you know, to your point, you know, it's 
there's so many of these things in our tummy that you know we've got this second brain, as you put it. Um, that mm-hmm. It's fascinating. You're saying it's only five years um, you know, old, you know, kind of this real research is coming in. And my profession as an exercise physiologist is probably 20 to 25 years old. And I still consider our industry a very new industry in research. Mm. And so five mm. years is basically just, just being, just come out of the womb and it's just started kind of thing. So mm. um, yeah, it's definitely some fun times and interesting times ahead. Yeah, like what I know now in gut health, we weren't taught back at university, like at all. Like I'm doing a lot of this research myself. I'm learning from other experts in my field um, as well. And I'm thrilling through some of the literature myself. But I will just mention quickly, because I don't think I've touched on it enough or driven home the importance of it, how much stress and sleep can impact your gut health as well. So you could be doing all the right things at the end of the day. You could be maintaining a healthy weight, eating a diversity of plants, um, being super healthy. But if you're constantly stressed, even if it's just that low level stress that you're experiencing every day, just a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiety, you're just not sleeping that well, that can have huge impacts on your gut health as well. And especially if you're getting a lot of symptoms and those symptoms are making you more anxious as well. So a lot of the times just relaxing what we're eating and taking away all those foods that we consider, I can't eat this, I can't eat this, that gives me symptoms, that's really bad for me. And just relaxing all of that and trying to eat as natural and kind of whole food as possible can sometimes be some of the best things that we can do for our gut. And I know that from personal experience, I know how scary it is to try and reintroduce foods but the stress and anxiety link is is absolutely enormous between that and gut health and symptoms as well there's been some great research as well again not a huge study like definitely more research does need to be done around it but it was um in terms of patients with ibs they tried diet therapy um i think they tried um yoga and meditation as well and those ones that did yoga and meditation and nothing else didn't do anything to their diet experienced just as great benefits in terms of reduction in ibs symptoms in terms of those people that did that with their diet as well so if you're somebody at home who's who's diet and their eating patterns are stressing them out and your gut health is worse than ever take up some yoga and meditation and see if that helps and work work on reducing your stress and reducing um, and improving your sleep and your quality of sleep and stop stressing about your diet because it's only going to make your symptoms worse at the end of the day yeah you bring up again a very valid point in uh i remember when we had our first daughter um it was the same time i was writing my book i was working far too many hours and that entire first year of her being born was probably the most stressful uh, time of my life and it's why we ended up taking an entire year off and we moved country and just disappeared for a year because we needed a kind of reboot but kind of knowing we've just had our second daughter um now late last year and i knew that if i go back into that kind of train of working too much, not getting any sleep because we've got a new baby and all those kind of things. So this time around very much forced my hand and kind of made it part of my daily plan to make sure I'm exercising every day, make sure I'm getting that quality sleep and as best as I can and trying to mm-hmm. um, do some things around it as stress relievers. And I've just started the bass guitar because for years I've been saying, I need to, I want to learn something new. I want to you know, use my brain in a completely different way. And it's something that allows me to switch off and to a to a degree of meditation or yoga or what it may be i'm so mm-hmm. kind of in tune with learning this new skill of um that i'm kind of being um forced to kind of do that um it's been such a stress reliever for me um and coupled with trying to get better sleep and exercise has just made me attending to my diet and my healthy way of life that i tend to do anyway that mm-hmm. very much dropped off last time when um, we had our first child um this time around i've i've felt more energized i've felt you know far less stressed this time around, even though we now have two kids and it's a chaotic household kind of thing. So um, yeah, a good night's sleep can almost, I'm not going to say solve every problem in your life, but Mm. it can certainly go a long way to helping it. That's for sure. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. 
Um, last one I've got here from the audience. Um, I don't want to buy a heap of products that I can't even pronounce the name of. What are the best everyday foods to help with gut health? Mm. So these are what I would consider superfoods. You know, I get messages all day, every day from people on Instagram being like, should I buy this? Does this help? Does this help? And it's all the types of superfoods and the powders. And they're like, you know, 48 dollars per like you know 100 grams or something ridiculously expensive and so my list of superfoods start with as i said just a diversity of plants when i'm thinking about legumes chickpeas lentils red kidney beans baked beans black beans soybeans they're all naturally rich in these prebiotics they're going to feed those good bacteria in your gut the best thing that you can do for your gut health is try to nourish the good bugs that are already there try to feed them with good nutrients so when was the last time you actually made a meal and you put some lentils or some legumes or some beans in there or or halved the amount of meat you were eating and, and dumped in a can of beans or something instead. They're super cheap. Canned beans are just as good. I'm super lazy. People say to me, I don't have time to soak my beans. I don't either. <laughs> I buy a 99 cent home brand tin of lentils, give them a good wash for a couple of times, wash out the extra salt that's in the canning process to help keep it shelf stable, wash off the salt and then dump it into a salad or into some rissoles I'm making or into a bit of pasta or something like that. So lentils and legumes, big first one, nuts. Um, particular cashews and pistachios are really high in natural prebiotics. Um, love seeds, especially chia seeds and linseeds. Really, really great for people who suffer from sluggish bowels or constipation. Um, love putting um, chia seeds and linseeds in anything that I eat for breakfast, whether it's sprinkling them over my eggs on toast, dumping them into a smoothie, putting them into my oat bowl. Um, vegetables that are naturally high in prebiotics. Jerusalem artichokes, chicory, garlic, and onions. For a lot of people um, who are sensitive with their gut health, that's a big trigger for some people. So start with just tiny amounts. Take one clove of garlic and spread it over six meals if you need to. But just start reintroducing it now. And in five years' time, you look back and think, thank goodness I can eat all these foods because my gut health is now so much better. Um, leeks and shallots are really good. Spring onions, asparagus, beetroot, green peas, snow peas, sweet corn, and savoy cabbage are also naturally high in prebiotics. In terms of our fruits, custard apples, nectarines and white peaches, persimmons, tamarillos, watermelon, rumbotans, grapefruits and pomegranates are also really good. Plus our dried fruits like um, dates and figs. And dates and figs are my favorite pre-workout snack as well. So I'm heading up to the gym, particularly early in the morning. I'll have a medjool date or I'll have two fresh figs. Um, you know, I'm supporting my good gut bacteria and I'm giving my, my body some easy to access carbohydrates to fuel my workout as well. And then finally, our whole grain products, which are also going to add that diversity in terms of our gut health. Um, barley, rye bread and rye crackers. Um, sourdough bread, rye sourdough is one of my favorite types. Um, whole grain pasta, gnocchi, whole grain couscous, wheat bran and rolled oats are all um, great. Rolled oats are one of my absolute favorite superfoods. They contain a compound called beta-glucan, which helps to naturally um, lower blood cholesterol and stabilize out your blood sugar levels. So interesting, um, interesting task. Head to, if you live in Australia, head to your local Woolies or Coles. Um, Uncle Toby's brands on their rolled oats actually advertise the beta-glucan on, on the front of the label saying how positive it is for your health benefit. Fun fact, all rolled oats contain this, this beta-glucan. You can just buy the Woolies or the home brand. I just buy my 99 bag center rolled oats. Sorry, Uncle Toby's, yeah. but that's all I do. If you're on a budget, you can still eat these great, wonderful, healthy whole foods for your gut health. And actually soaking oats um, actually helps to increase the amount of um, good bacteria um, in those oats as well and the resistant starch in those oats. So I'm a huge fan of um, doing things like overnight oats as well and um, resistant starch is also found in um, 
cooked and cooled potato and pasta. So that's why I'm a big fan of meal prep as well, because that can help to improve the amount of resistant starch in some of our um, some of our foods, which can help to support our good bacteria as well. So making some pasta, popping it in the fridge, cooling it down, even if you reheat it the next day, it's still built up that resistant starch in it as well. So I love eating either cold pasta for meal prep for my lunch or heating it back up again. Love um, roasting some potatoes and eating them cold in a salad or soaking my oats as well. So that's another great way that you can look after your gut health with a 99 you know, 99 cent bag of rolled oats, a couple of white potatoes cooked and cooled, or just a bit of wholemeal pasta that's been cooked and cooled as well. So gut health doesn't need to be expensive. It doesn't need to be fancy. You can eat, you know, gluten, wheat containing products. They're not the devil. They're not going to cause inflammation. <laughs> they are actually really great and healthy for your gut health. Um, and I think that's, I think I probably just busted a whole heap of myths in that, in that one sentence. <laughs> yeah. No, amazing. As I said, uh, you brought up some really valid points there today and um, you know, some really good discussion topics that uh, I know I get plenty of questions about and so I'm really going to be uh, happy to be able to just go, listen to my podcast I had with Elan. Just go, go there, she'll be able to answer everything for you um, because yeah, uh, I really do appreciate um, you know, so much of your time and energy here today and uh, you know, you're very, very highly educated on this topic and it's something that um, you know, I very much appreciate um, your people like yourself and um, you coming onto the show and kind of uh, talking in much more detail because I certainly get plenty of questions and my usual response is, I don't know, it's not my area of uh, topic. Go and see this yeah. person or this person kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, so I really, really do appreciate that uh, with you today. If you don't mind, um, I always have yeah. quick fire five that I ask every podcast guest that comes on. So um, just a quick fire five of questions mm. uh, right at the end if uh, you don't mind indulging us there. Oh, good. I'll interrupt you just for one second. Yeah, just one final point, um, just to really drive home at home. If you are somebody that doesn't eat a lot of fiber at the moment, you need to increase your fiber intake slowly. If you go and have, you know, you're eating ton of processed foods and then you're like, I'm going to listen to Leanne's podcast. I'm going to increase my fiber intake, hit that 35 grams a day. You're going to run into some problems. So you need to increase your fiber intake very slowly along with lots of water. If you increase it too quickly, you're going to get a ton of bloating, gas, wind. You're just going to be super uncomfortable. You're going to hate on me. Yes. So please, Please do that really slowly. And if you're somebody who doesn't eat a lot of fiber already in their diet, start with meal per week. So start with making your breakfast really healthy and um, and high fiber. And then the next week, start with trying to change up your lunch. The next week, start with trying to change up your dinner. Your intestines just need a little bit of time to adapt to the amount of fiber content. If you find that you're experiencing a lot of bloating and wind, your tummy's just not used to the amount of fiber. So just back off it a little bit, give it a couple of days or a few weeks, and then try to increase again really slowly along with plenty of water you increase too much fiber not enough water you're going to get blocked up yep perfect final point to drive home <laughs> no awesome um all right so quick fire five uh number one beach or snow Ooh, beach 100 <laughs> percent. living in queensland i could understand that <laughs> my partner's um, been trying to get me to ski for the last three years and every holiday we've had it's been beach holiday so i'm definitely <laughs> winning so far it's interesting you say that because i'm the same i'm beach 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 always but uh my wife uh convinced me probably five or six years ago like Let's just go to the snow. Like we'll have two holidays this year. Let's you know we can have the beach one, but we've got to go to the snow. And yeah, as long as I've got good gear on, it's it's actually a really enjoyable time away. I'm never going to choose it as my first holiday, but I do yeah. love the snow as well. But um, yeah, good point. Um, future or past? If you could go and see one event, where would you like to go to and when? Ooh, ooh, I might need to think about that. Do you want me to come I'd... back to it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. No worries. <laughs> um, you don't have to worry about the nutritional value, the calories it contains, or whatever. It's going to give you everything you need for the rest of your life. What's the one meal you have for the rest of your life if you could only have one? Ooh, I'd say stir fry. I'm such a sucker for a good stir fry. 
Beautiful. So easy. Yeah. Full of like colorful veggies and you can add whatever protein you want to it, whatever base of carbohydrate you want to it. I could eat stir fry for the rest of my life. I agree. <laughs> um, family, friend, famous, dead or alive, who would you like to have for dinner tonight? Family, friend, famous, Tony Robbins. You went to a, a conference of his or a kind of workshop with his, yeah? Yeah, I went what? to Tony's Business Master in Florida. I only went a couple of weeks ago. It was incredible. That guy is an absolute legend. If you guys don't follow Tony at home, you need to just for a, like a life kick up the butt. He's incredible. Is he <laughs> just as energetic in person as you see, obviously, on everything you ever see of his? No, he's next level. He's yeah. 10 times. Like the guy's on stage for like 12 hours. I'm like, does he even pee? Does he eat? Like, <laughs> is he even human? He's just, he is one insane human. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's 10 times level when you see him live and in person. Amazing. Um, yeah. And number five, and we'll go back to number two in a second. Um, everyone always obviously says that they would spend time with their family if they were given one day left on earth. You've done that. I want you to go uber selfish. This is your last 24 hours. What do you do yeah. for 24 hours left on this planet? Oh, I'd probably go with my partner and we'd go probably just take a holiday somewhere incredible, like some destination that we've always wanted to go. We didn't like first class, obviously, like somewhere like Ibiza or something. I'd go drink wine in like a French winery somewhere, I think. Amazing. <laughs> I'd have to have some good, some good cheese and some good wine. That would have to be involved somewhere. Well, um, I can highly recommend having lived in France, um, the Aix-en-Provence region and having a good rosé through that area, which it's very much known for. Um, yep. And then some sort of triple brie um, in that area as well. That would be uh, where I'd be racing back to oh, as well. Sounds like perfection. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got something, a kind of event in, in time, be it uh, future or past that you'd like to? An event in time. No, to be honest, I'm the type of person that if I ever want to go to something, I'll make it happen. Like I, you know, Tony Robbins Business Mastery was quite an expensive event. I sold my car and I went to it. Like if I, if I want to do something, I'll make it happen. I'm that type of person. But yeah. I think like what some of those out of body experiences, like I'd love to just go back to my graduations, all those years of hard work at uni and just like actually watch myself like walk on stage. Like I feel like I just didn't appreciate how much hard work it was at the time or how much I appreciate all my, my degrees and years of research and, you know, university studies now. Um, I think I'd just like to go back and, and celebrate with my friends and my family and those graduation, those college days again, they were such good days. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> actually so hard as an adult. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because my mum still has never forgiven me that um, when I had my master's graduation, I went in a t-shirt and pair of shorts and they had <laughs> like everyone else is in suits and a tie and they're getting, you know, the gowns and the hat. I'm here in a t-shirt and shorts. I was like, oh, I did the graduation for my undergrad. Why do I have to worry about? And my mum still to this day has not forgiven me for not taking that more seriously. And that's a really interesting you bring that up and like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go back and just slap that guy around. It's like, just wear a suit and take this a bit more seriously. You know, do it for your mum. She's been there. You know, so that's a really, yeah, really good point. I like it. Um, Leanne, again, thank you so much for um, popping on today. Um, I know I have, and I've always said this, I started this podcast because I wanted to start chatting to people who um, know more about topics that I don't know about and I would always find interesting, but I always hope that obviously the audience finds it um, of interest and of value and I'm sure people have walked away from um, listening to our podcast today. And so, yeah, really, really appreciate your time today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, Adam. And if anyone wants to dive a little bit deeper into gut health, emotional eating, or um, weight loss specifically for females, they're welcome to check out my podcast, um, Leanne Ward Nutrition as well.
Absolutely. And um, as I said, guys, all of those details are going to be in below here. And uh, this will be going up Monday next week. So whatever that is, I think it's the 23rd, 4th or something like that. Um, guys, definitely go and ch check out Leanne's podcast as well and all of her content. I can't highly recommend her enough because, uh, yeah, as I said, her, her page, her content, her website, everything she does, I think is um, incredible. And um, we are very lucky to have you on here today. So thank you so much, Leanne. Thank you so much, Adam, for having me on. Not a worries. Um, guys, that's been another episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. If you did like it, hit that review, give us a five star, share this out to people that you know because I'm sure that they would like it just as much. But I'll see you next week. I love you as always. Bye.